Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, Ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now... Taz and Paula. Well, good morning. Uh, our guest today has not called in yet, but we can um, actually announce her. Okay. Are you there, Taz? Okay. I'm here. Our guest, Anita Morjani, crossed over to the other side and then came back. Today, Anita shares her experience of entering another dimension and being given a choice of whether to return to life or not. Taz? Yeah. Well, you're listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Taz. This last weekend, Paula and I attended the outstanding I Can Do It Ignite conference um, at the San Jose Center for Performing Arts in San Jose. And up on stage at that event, Anita Morhani shared with Dr. Wayne Dyer and the audience um, her steps of moving through death and then returning to this life. Um, doctors at the hospital had given Anita just hours to live when she arrived at the hospital that morning, unable to move as a result of the cancer that had ravaged her body for over three years. And in a moment, we'll find out what she experienced. Well, Anita actually chose to return to life when she understood that heaven is a state, not a place. This subsequently led to a remarkable and complete recovery of her health. And... um, Actually, Dr. Uh, Wayne Dyer uh, discovered her on um, on a blog, I think. So uh, she hasn't called in. Let me try to um, call her right now. Okay. Well, what was really, you know, Anita has a book, and oh, her book is called... Oh, good. Hello. Well, Anita... Anita's book is um, called Dying to Be Me, and um, it's such a tremendous gift um, to all of us, this book. Uh, It's truly an honor and and a real pleasure to have you with us today, Anita. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. (laughs) Well, Well, uh, you are living, you're living proof of this near-death possibility. It's like you stepped off the train from heaven. (laughs) We actually got to hear your story um, at in San Jose at the San Jose Center for Performing Arts, and it was just a remarkable story. So um, yeah, do you want to start from the beginning for our audience? 
Sure, sure. I was I was glad to meet you that day in San Jose. Um, well, the beginning would probably be a good place to start. Would be um, on in April of 2002 when I was diagnosed with cancer. I had found a lump on my collarbone on the left-hand side of my um, neck, and um, and so I went to the doctor to, to have it checked out, and they took a biopsy, and then when I went in for the results, they told me that I had lymphoma, and of course, I was really really stunned at that news because um, I'd been hoping that it was just, you know, a swollen gland or something like that. But um, they told me it was lymphoma, and then I had to do the scans where they stage it. They said it was at stage 2A. Um, you know, when they stage it, it's like 1A is the lowest and 4B is the highest, so they staged it at 2A. And uh, so... Then they started to run through some options with me of you know whether I should do chemotherapy or combination of chemotherapy and radiation. Now what had just happened prior to that is that I, I, my best friend she had been diagnosed with cancer about seven or eight months prior to that, and she her health was really deteriorating and she was on chemotherapy. My brother, uh, my husband's brother-in-law had also been diagnosed with cancer, and he was also being treated, and his health was deteriorating rapidly. So at first, I absolutely refused the chemotherapy. I said, no, I'm going to find some alternative ways to treat this. Um, unfortunately, though, over the years, my, my health just really deteriorated, and the cancer continued to spread. And um, um, it spread uh, like throughout my body, like through my lymphatic system, over a period of three years and ten months. But actually, um, as I started to deteriorate, uh, slowly my, my muscles wasted away. Um, I, I developed open skin lesions, and as I got weaker and weaker, um, I was losing weight. I, uh, I was weighing about 80, 85 pounds, and um i um and eventually i was ridden to a wheelchair because my muscles had wasted away and i had a portable oxygen tank my husband stayed at home from work just to take care of me and then um i was going to the hospital regularly for blood transfusions and my lungs were filled with fluid but um, every time, I, like I would go in and out of hospital, I never wanted to stay in the hospital. I always wanted to stay at home because I found hospitals really depressing and scary. And um, then... You must have been in a lot of pain also. Yes. I was in a lot of physical pain because I couldn't lie flat because my lungs were filled with fluid and I would choke every time I lied flat. Uh, I couldn't breathe without the aid of the oxygen tank and my open skin lesions they were like weeping and so i was in a lot of physical discomfort um i had a low grade fever all the time my skin was like itchy and rashy my skin was like just burning up and um so i was in a lot of discomfort and on the night of february the um first uh, i told the nurse that i really wanted to to sleep could she just 
inject a higher dose of morphine. And so she did. I was being cared for by a full-time nurse at home. And um, so she did, and then she went home for the night. And on the morning of February the 2nd, I didn't open my eyes. I didn't wake up. And my husband was really shocked because apparently my body was completely swollen up like a like a balloon. My arms and legs and my face was all swollen up. So my husband called a doctor right away, and the doctor told him to rush me to the hospital, a different hospital from the one I'd been going to. This was he he told my husband to rush me to one of the the top cancer hospitals in the country. And I lived in Hong Kong. I I still live in Hong Kong. And um, the doctor said that um, he will be there waiting for me at the hospital and there will be a team of specialists. So my husband rushed me to the hospital. Now, um, everyone, to, uh, for all intents and purposes, to everyone else, it looked like I was in a coma, which I was, but I wasn't aware that I was in a coma because I was aware of everything that was happening all around me. I was aware of my husband rushing me to the hospital and us arriving there and the team of doctors that were were there and everything they were doing. They, um, the first thing uh, one of the oncologists said when she saw me, she said to my husband, it's too late to save her. Um, she's She's already gone. Her organs have already shut down, and these are her last hours. She won't even make it through the night. And then I was aware of them rushing around, putting tubes in me, hooking me up, like taking me to the ICU, the intensive care unit, and hooking me up to machines and things like that. So I was aware of everything that was happening. But not only that, I just felt, um, I felt so good. I felt... I felt really well and healed. I felt light and just this this amazing level of freedom and like I was just liberated from my body. It was just incredible. And and I also felt as though I was surrounded by what I can only describe as unconditional love and even the word love just doesn't do it justice, but I, there's no words in our language to describe what that state felt like. It felt as though I'd come home. Like I felt, I, I felt a, a kind of love or comfort that I've never felt in this physical life before, ever. It was like I'd finally come home and I was released from all the pain and the fear and the cancer and everything, I was just released. It was just a, the most incredible feeling that I could ever describe. Must have been hard for you to come back after that beautiful feeling. Yeah, it was, the hardest thing was to come back. Um, as I as I continued in that realm, um, I felt... Uh, I, I felt the presence of my best friend who had passed away from cancer. And I also felt the presence of my father who had passed away about 10 years before, prior to that. And um, and all I felt for my father and my best friend was unconditional love. And previously, um, like when my father was alive, I had had quite a shaky relationship with him because um, 
I, my family are Hindus. I'm Indian, but I went to a British school. I had a British education. And my father always wanted me to follow in our Hindu traditions in terms of having an arranged marriage and everything. So I always defied him, and um, and and so we used to clash a lot. But in that realm, all I felt from him was unconditional love. Like none of that mattered. None of it mattered because underneath everything, underneath the culture and everything, all we had for each other was unconditional love. And all I felt for him was compassion. I understood in that realm that everything he did, um, he did it out of out of love, even though it didn't feel that way here. He did it because it was the only way he knew how, because he was a victim of his own culture, and it was the only way he knew how. And uh, I just, I just felt that, um, you know, that there was no. Uh, all the feelings that you know were, were just of the um, the clashing and everything was just gone. And um, and and my best friend, I had felt a lot of guilt towards the end of her life because I I hadn't gone to see her because I had cancer, and um, and I couldn't deal with her cancer, and so I felt a lot of guilt, especially when she passed. But um, in this realm, I didn't feel that um, I didn't feel that it affected her at all. All I felt from her was just pure love as well. Wow! As you're talking, I almost <laughs> like you're just putting us right there where you were. Thank you. I it's it's still very emotional for me um, to even recall it. Is, is, if you have any questions or anything, I can I can answer the questions. But otherwise, I'll just I'll just keep going. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then, um, my father. Then um, he uh, he seemed to tell me, or because we don't communicate in words, it was more like. Um, it's like I understood it's more like we and our energies kind of meld. It's like we just blend it's it's as though I became him. It's like my being or my energy and his just merged and so I understood everything he wanted me to to know. And so I understood from my father he wanted me to know that it wasn't my time yet, but I still had the choice as to whether I wanted to go back or not. And um, one of the the other things I was feeling is that this amazing feeling of connection, like as if, because I was like merged with the energy of my father and my best friend, and and I felt that all of us are actually connected, um, if we're not expressing through our physical bodies at our consciousness level, it's as though we're all one, as though we're all connected. It's as though our energies just, you know, we just merge with each other and um and I also started to understand that 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 I was a, a magnificent like we all are we're all amazing magnificent beings and we're just you know like like perfect magnificent people of the universe and and I never realized it while I was alive I just never knew or I never realized that 
that I was this amazing being. It's as though life kind of erodes it away. Um, life makes you made me really fearful and everything, and and I just forgot who I really was. And in that realm, it uh, I, it was just this. I just had this huge realization that oh my God, we're just amazing, magnificent beings, and we're so powerful, and 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 in life we just feel so so small and 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 fearful. And um, and then just that just that experience. Now that you're back, I mean, here, do you merge with other people's energies now? Um, I sense people's, yeah, well, I sense it more than I used to before my experience. I sense people's energies. But what happens is that when we are back in our physical bodies, um, we feel that separation as well. And when we're not in our physical bodies, then that separation is gone. So the, the the separation is much easier to distinguish when we're expressing through the physical body, but still, um, I think the the feeling that the feeling or the rem, the memory of it doesn't ever leave because I I'm still fully aware that at the end and that that we are all still connected and we're all still one and everything I do and say affects the whole it affects everybody. That awareness doesn't go away, and and what I put out is what I get back. And Anita, when you, when you were on the other side, was it excuse me, was it as if you were telepathic? I mean that you could really hear hear the people from the other side. Yes, you mean from the other? I mean I was aware of everything, even everything that was going on in this physical realm even what the doctors were saying even if they weren't in the same room as where my body was it was like my body was insignificant compared to what i was feeling in that realm and um and the doctors were talking about me to my husband and to my family uh not even in the same room like further down the corridor and i could hear every word they were saying and I was aware that my brother, who was in India, was frantically trying to get on a plane to come to Hong Kong to see me before I actually died. And so I was aware of things that were going on, even that were not physically near my body, because it felt as though my consciousness was just expanding and expanding and was just becoming aware of everything that pertained to me. And it was like I had peripheral vision, um, not just vision, so like everything like sight, uh, hearing, and um, all of it, I was, I could hear, see, feel everything all around. There was no, no boundary. Hmm. And when and you then, returned, what was it like? I mean, when you returned from from, uh, on call a journey to the other <laughs> side, what was it? Um, what was your clarity? What was? Excuse me. I mean, when you came back and you were alert of what has, had taken place and you could make that connection and everything, what was your clarity of understanding this life compared to when you when you left? I mean, how is it different for you? This life is so limited uh, in terms of the feelings of separation and the burdens of the physical body and all that other 
side was like uh, really light and and when i became aware that i had the choice to come back or not my first instinct was that i didn't want to come back because my body was sick my body was dying my organs were shutting down there was no reason for me to come back because um you know i didn't want to suffer anymore but also my family was suffering because of the state i was in and then the next thing that happened was that i had this realization that now that i knew the truth of who i really am i wouldn't have the cancer anymore i just seemed to understand that if i chose to go back my body would heal and it would heal very quickly and i just seemed to understand and know that 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 just knowing the truth of who i am and knowing the truth of what caused my cancer uh would would cause it to heal and then i sensed my um my father and my best friend kind of confirming that and imprinting onto me that now that you know the truth of who you are go back and live your life fearlessly and um and and the thing is with the other complicated thing in the other realm is that time doesn't run linear in the same way as it does here when we're expressing in our physical body it's as if over here our mind takes every point of time and strings it together in a linear way but in the other realm it felt as if everything was happening at once so now when i when i tell when i speak my experience i have to kind of put it into a linear fashion but um sometimes it's quite difficult to get everything in the right order because it felt as though everything was happening at the same time in the other realm and it was like in a short time i took in so much because i i even seemed to understand that there was a lot more than we are capable of understanding and um if i can use a metaphor it's if you imagine it's like imagine if you are in a warehouse that's really dark with where the lights are all off and you're making your way through the warehouse with just one flashlight and so all you have to go on is the beam of one flashlight so you're just making a way and you're making sure you're not bumping into anything as you walk around and the only things you're aware of in the warehouse is what your flashlight uh beams its light on but you can't see anything else outside of that beam and you have no idea how vast the warehouse is now imagine if one day somebody just switches the lights on and there are these huge big floodlights that just go on and when the lights go on you suddenly realize this warehouse is huge it's much bigger than you could ever ever imagine it to be you can't even see the ends and it and this warehouse is stocked up with shelves and shelves of stuff that you never even imagined existed everything that you know exists and everything that you cannot even imagine exists is contained in this warehouse it's like every possibility exists and even things that you cannot even imagine all those possibilities all exist at the same time now imagine that the the lights go off and you're back to living your life with just the beam of the torchlight now having the lights on was like being in the near death experience state it was like a sudden realization that there is so much more 
than I ever even could have imagined. There's more than I can understand. There's more than I can even um, think of. And so now that I'm back to focusing on life like as though through the beam of a, a torch again, I know that there's a lot more than I'm capable of even understanding or envisioning. So I have a level of trust that all possibilities exist at the same time. Um so so the way that I so the way that I view life has changed completely from before. I know that there's a lot more than I can imagine. So if I try to control things, if I try to control my life, I'm actually limiting my experience. I know that there is more out there that I can draw in if I don't try to control and limit my experiences to only what I know or to only what I can see with the torchlight. So uh, you're attracting much more now than you did before, it sounds like. Yes, and, and I do that just by being myself and allowing, because one of the biggest lessons that I learned in the other realm is that all I have to really do is be authentic and be true to myself, which is something I had never done. And that was the big reason why I understood why I had the cancer, because I had spent my whole life um I had spent my whole life living in fear, being a people pleaser, always doing what everyone else wanted me to do, always being what I thought was expected of me by my culture by everybody around me, and I completely lost myself. I I didn't even know who I was, and I just completely lost my identity, and it was always so important to me to bend over backwards and make sure everybody was really happy with me and happy with who I was, um, that I forgot about me. I completely forgot about me. And that Well, you're, just, you're describing 95% of us. <laughs> and and I think that's I, I you know I I actually do think that's why a lot of people get illnesses is because we really lose ourselves we lose our identity we beat ourselves up I was always uh, I was always beating myself up and chastising myself if I didn't live up to other people's expectations or I would set up false expectations from myself and. Uh, and would beat myself up when I didn't meet up to those expectations. And then in the other realm, I realized that the most important thing I could be was to be my authentic self. That's why I am the way I am. And if we aren't who we are, then we deprive the universe of who we came here to be. And I and And that was my biggest and most important lesson, and I realized that that's all any of us have to be. We just have to be true to who we really are. How joyous it must have been to to realize that your dad and your friend didn't blame you for anything, and it was just your love. That must have been so exciting. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was just an incredible feeling. And I'd always thought I would get judged in the other realm. There was no judgment. I and there was all I felt was just compassion, love, unconditional love, and really unconditional. It was as though <clears throat> as though this love was mine, no matter what I had done. And there was this complete understanding that even things that I had perceived to have done wrong, 
everything I'd done was just out of the limitation of being in a physical body and living a life that is lived out of fear. And most of us live fearful lives. Uh, fear is very subtle, and we don't always realize it, but all the choices and decisions that I was making every day were made out of fear, even even choices for my health and choices of what to eat and everything is done out of out of fear fear of um not wanting to displease others or fear of illness and and what i learned in the other realm that is that is that um my that i need to make my choices out of love out of a love for myself out of joy out of passion for life so make all my choices of everything I do, everything I eat, all my actions, out of love. Even when I do things for my health, it's um, do it out of a love for my health or my body rather than out of a fear of getting sick. And so wow. it, it's just turned everything around. And then and and I and I also learned that um, emotions and feelings are the most important thing and it's not about uh, it it's about it's not about making choices um from what other people think I should do or from what I think I should do but it's more about what do I feel like doing what makes me feel good what brings me joy what makes me happy and and constantly just doing things based on what other people expect me to do or out of my fears is what made me lose myself completely. When you when you came back, when you decided to come back, um how long did it take you to heal? It was very very fast. When I came back and I started to open my eyes, my family were really shocked and then um and then when I recognized the doctors right away, who I had never seen before, I'd entered the hospital, <laughs> they were all really shocked, and nobody knew what to make of what was going on with me. And then I started to tell them about the conversations and about all the procedures they had done on me, and they were all just blown away. They just couldn't figure it out. And then within four days, my tumors had shrunk by 70%, um, because I... Uh, on entering the hospital, my organs had shut down, and my tumors had uh, were I had tumors from the base of my skull all the way down to below my abdomen, and um, and so my cancer had spread throughout my lymphatic system, and you could actually see them at you know at that point when I'd entered the hospital, you could actually see um, my glands all swollen on my neck and under my arms and everywhere. But within four days, they had shrunk by 70%. Um, within five weeks, uh, the doctors couldn't find any trace of cancer in my body, and I was released from the hospital. I mean, even when they sent me for a for a biopsy, uh, two weeks after the near-death experience, they sent me for a lymph node biopsy. The radiologist had to mark a lymph node on my neck for the surgeon to biopsy, and he couldn't even find a lymph node in my body that was large enough to suggest cancer. And mm-hmm. and and he couldn't believe it because he had the the scans uh, hung up on the on the light box right there, which he was looking at those scans, which showed where all the 
all the tumors were and so he was looking for those tumors in my body and he couldn't he couldn't find them he was using an ultrasound and he was trying to find them on my neck and on my chest and, all, and he, he just couldn't find them I bet you blew their minds away <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they couldn't explain it and um and then shortly after that i mean even i was having um i was having a hard time trying to fit back into society and into into the world again after what had happened because i just felt very different and and for a while i found it really difficult i just found it i found it hard to get back into the mundane things of life like trying to find work and things like that nothing just nothing felt right anymore nothing made sense and my husband encouraged me to just um write just keep expressing express myself in writing just to get it out of my system so i started writing and writing just for cathartic reasons and then um i posted my writing on a on an nde forum on an nde website and um and it was discovered and actually after i posted it it went viral and um i didn't even use my full real name it was just i just posted it as anita m so it was posted as anita m's nde and and suddenly people picked up on it and it went viral and um it just went all over the internet and it got picked up by an oncologist in the us there were uh, this oncologist actually tracked me down and he told me two different people sent him the story saying that he needed to read it so he read it and he tracked me down through through the website which i was i had posted this and and he phoned me up and he asked me if i minded sending him some of my medical records so so i sent him i made some copies and sent it to him and then he called me after he looked at them and he said this is really scary whichever way i look at it you should be dead and so he was still because um you know because he's he's very scientific minded he was still skeptical so he said look i'm going to arrange a business trip to come to hong kong and i'd like to go to the hospital where this happened to you and i'd like to scrutinize your medical records would you object to that and i said not at all help yourself and so he did he flew to hong kong and we met and i took him to the hospital and then he went um we we got out the medical files and he went through it with a fine tooth comb and then he took photocopies of all the pages that were important to him and then and he he said to me that it's um he said i i really have no explanation and then he sent the report to uh, all the top cancer institutes in the world and all of them came back and said they'd never seen anything like it they've never had anyone come back from such a late stage of cancer and so quickly um so and so i've actually put his um, written report into my book as well oh. <laughs> he he actually wrote something up and said he actually said to me you should write a book and then he he wrote something up and he said here you can um you you have my blessings to include this in your book uh, so that people don't challenge you <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so ever with your book. Had he ever Pardon? had any other patients who had had near death experiences? Yes, he knows of, he's had patients who've had near death experiences. 
He's had patients who've had spontaneous cancer remissions, but he said he's never had a patient who's had both, and he's never had a patient come back from such a late stage. And he said mine was really, really late because my organs had shut down, and then they started functioning again. He said that's never happened. And to recover so quickly the way I did, he said he'd never seen that before. Do you feel that maybe being that you were on the other side, you must have started healing from then because you could really see how things were and mm-hmm. and uh, feeling all the love maybe you felt. Um, Yet, in, in fact, from the moment I came back, I felt as though I was already healed, even though my body didn't look it to anyone else because um, I still weighed only about 85 pounds or something, and I had the open skin lesions, and I still couldn't walk, and I was still hooked up to machines. But from the minute I opened my eyes, I mean, within hours I was talking and I wanted to eat again. I hadn't eaten in in ages. I had a food tube down my throat, and so the food was just being fed, like the nutrition was just coming in through a tube, but I wanted them to pull it out. And in my, I would say, in my soul or spirit or whatever, in my heart, I was already healed. And I just felt now my body just has to catch up. And so it was it was really fast because it's as though the body is a reflection of who you are inside, not the other way around. We tend to think the body is the real part, but it's not. It's absolutely not. Who I am inside is the real me, and my body is just a reflection of it. And as soon as the real me knew I was healed, my body just had to catch up. So the saying goes, uh, we are what we think, is totally true. Yep, it is totally true. And also the saying which Wayne Dyer uses, that we're spiritual beings having a human experience, that's also totally true. Oh, um, we want to let everybody know that we're talking um, to Anita Morjani, and uh, she wrote the book, uh, Dying to Be Me. Now, um, is it Dr. Uh, Wayne Dyer who helped you get your book in, uh, in published, or was yeah. the book already started before you met him? No, um Dr. Wayne Dyer helped me get it published, and it was incredible. It was, again, a whole series of synchronicities for this to happen, and and I think that even Dr. Wayne Dyer was meant to be in my life in this way because my story went viral on the Internet, but Wayne Dyer doesn't even use... He doesn't even really use a computer. He would never have found it on the Internet. But... um, Another person, a lady by the name of Mira Kelly, who does past life regression, she found the story on the Internet. Someone had emailed it to her, and she just had this feeling that Wayne Dyer really needs to read this. And um, so the story on the in, my story on the Internet was just the experience. It wasn't, it, it's not like a whole book. It was just um, a brief description of the near-death experience and the fact that I had cancer and how it has healed and um and again it it was not my full name the story that that this lady found was 
where it just said Anita M's NDE. So she knows that Wayne Dyer never uses a computer. So she even printed it out, and she gave it to him. And now people hand Wayne Dyer things all the time, and he doesn't. He doesn't have the time to read everything or do anything about them. And people are asking him all the time, can you help me publish a book or anything? I wasn't even actively trying to publish a book. I hadn't even finished writing a book. I had just written all this stuff that was on the Internet. And um, and um, when she gave this to Wayne Dyer, he didn't even read it right away. He just put it on his desk and he left it there. And then one day he was just clearing his desk and then he was just figuring out what to do with this, like should he throw it in the bin or so before he uh threw it in the bin or before he figured out what to do with this you know, this stack of paper, it was like I think the printout was something like twenty two pages long. So he started reading it just to decide what to do with it and when he started reading it he tells me he couldn't stop, he couldn't put it down. So he just kept reading it and reading it and, you know, about my experience. And when he finished it, he called his publishers right away and said, you've got to track this woman down. You know, her name is Anita, Anita M., and it says here that she comes from Hong Kong and she had this NDE. And so he he, he gave them, he, he sent this to his publisher, and they read it, and then they found me on the Internet, and they tracked me down. And they said that if you're planning to write a book, we would like to publish it, and Wayne Dyer would like the forward, like to write the forward. So that was really incredible. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I mean, how many? How often does that happen? <laughs> I know. And 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 there, I thought that if I planned to write a book, I'd have to go knocking on publishers' doors and be turned down and everything. And this just, it just, I mean, you know, I just received. An email, and it was just one year ago, March of last year, 2011. It was on my birthday. Out of the blue, I got this email from Hay House Publishers wow. telling me that Wayne Dyer has discovered your story. <laughs> so it was really incredible. <laughs> did, did you dance around? Did you dance around the house after you got that email? <laughs> yeah, and not only that. I mean, it was on my birthday. I thought. Wow, what a birthday present. I actually started crying. I was so emotional. I just started crying. I thought, oh, my God, this is what happens when you just allow. You just allow the universe, and I just have to be myself. (laughs) (laughs) When you wrote your book, tell me, what was it, I mean, as you began writing it and everything and going through it, were, were there parts of it that were harder to write than others? Were there, were there areas yes. that you were kind of more surprised, like, oh, I never thought of that before, and then you kind of put it in the book? Yes, there were. There were a lot of parts that were harder than others. And what happened is that um, I had an editor who um, was helping to bring the story out, but but after um, after I wrote it, the first time um, I wrote the whole story, and then and um, I submitted it to Hay House, and um, I I didn't write in all the difficult parts because I didn't want to. I felt that I'm uh, I didn't actually go into the really difficult areas. What was difficult for me to write, and I submitted it. And then Wayne Dyer actually read my manuscript, and then he called me up. And he said, although you have a good book here because it's a, because you have a good story, 
I don't want a good book from you. I want a great book. And he said that um, I've noticed you've avoided um, being emotional or writing anything emotional in this book, and you haven't got into that emotional state or that NDE state, which I want you to reach. And um, and he told me, I want you to go back and uh, go into that state, and I want you to write from that state. So I did that, and I thought that was that was incredible that he said that. And so um, I went into that uh, near-death experience state, and from that state, it was like being in a state of, I don't know, pure emotion, pure love. And from that state, I went back and reread what I'd written, and then I started writing all the emotions I was feeling as I was going through everything, through my childhood and when I was a people pleaser and when I got the cancer, and then all the emotions I felt within the near-death experience and with my father. And I knew I I had got it right this time because I was crying as I was writing. And because I was crying as I was writing, I knew, okay, this is it. This is what Wayne is talking about. And... Um, and the book doubled in size. And then I resubmitted it. And when I resubmitted it, everybody at Hay House wrote to me and said, now this is a great book. You've made us cry by reading it. <laughs> Do you think that was another layer of healing uh, by writing the book for you? Yes, it, it was. It was. And I didn't. it was a layer of healing that I didn't even know I needed to have. And I had realized that in the time... Between I had the NDE and between I submitted the book, you know, the the, the first manuscript, even in those those uh, few years, already some of the fears of the world had started to come back. It was like I was writing it again for the people. So when I, um, so then, so again when I when Wayne told me I want you to write a great book, and when I went in and got in touch with the emotional part of me, I was writing it for me. And and that's all I did. I was writing it for me. I didn't I didn't even think what anybody who is reading it would even think about the book. I was just getting out the emotions that I was feeling and I just got in touch with that deep place within me and I thought this is what I need to release and I was writing it purely for me. And it was so cathartic. The feeling was it was like a huge release. It's, it's it's addictive, <laughs> and so now I love writing. <laughs> Do you think you'll be uh, teaching any workshops or anything on on um, being yourself, you know, helping other people to become themselves and, and to think the way that you you've learned through this experience? I think I will. I think that it will. It is something that I would like to do, and I see myself doing. And at the moment. Um, there's there's so much going on for me, like even just with the release of the book, because the book was only released this month, and and Wayne Dyer has been inviting me to come and speak with him at most of his events. So Hay House has been amazing. They've been flying me all around the world just to speak at um, at his events. So there's so much happening. But I know that once the book is... Um, has been out for a few months. Um, what I would like to do is to actually develop some workshops to help people because um, because I would like them to be able to get in touch with that authentic state within themselves 
and and to learn how to stay in that place and keep accessing it. Was this the uh, the San Jose uh, event? Was that the first event you did with Wayne? No, that was already um, the fourth, if we count uh, if we count the PBS. So first, I did a I can do it event at um, in Pasadena, and then um, I I went to San Diego to film the PBS special, which has been on TV, and then. I did an event with him in Sydney, Australia, in January. And wow. then this is the fourth one, and then I'm going to Atlanta next month. Um, so, and and then I'll be doing one in in London and uh, Scotland with him as well later this year. Anita, I really um, first of all let our listeners know we're we're speaking with Anita. Um, is it more Hani or more Johnny? More Johnny. Johnny, okay, thank you. Um, I just um, I question well, like when you wrote your book, what was it? What was it like for your family? Um, this must have been like a healing with your husband, all your family. I mean, just to see this, it must have really made a connection with them too, because you're, they're so close to you. Yeah, my my family is very close to me. My husband, my husband has been incredible actually through my whole journey. Um, he's one of the very few people that I feel really understood my journey and understood everything that was happening. My husband, my mom, and my brother, and I have a few very close friends who. Um, it, you know what's interesting is that my closest friends today are the ones that I've made after my near-death experience. And um, I, I lost a lot of my old friends because I think that a lot of my old friends um, were built on a different type of relationship. And I changed because I changed a lot. And I've started to think about myself a lot more and put myself first. And and so I'm not uh, I'm not exactly the same person I used to be where um, everything I was doing before was more um, just to to please or, or to do. I was always concerned about doing the correct thing and the right thing. And now um, I think I'm, I'm much more concerned about doing what's fun or what's joyful. And so now I know that my friends, my uh, the friends I have now are really my true friends, the ones who... I love and who I know love me for who I am and not not for what I do for them. Anita, uh, when you and I spoke in San Jose, you, you said you were going to try to get some book signings in the Santa Cruz area. Uh, were you able to do that? You know, uh, unfortunately not because it seems that the books have been sold out, which, which is also good news because um, we were at one of the biggest bookshops here in Santa Cruz and... Um, and it seems that they've ordered them in twice already, and they've sold out both times. Each time they've ordered them in, they've sold out. So they've ordered them. They ordered them again, and they sold out. So um, they don't news. have any in stock right now. So <laughs> so I guess that's a good thing. But uh, yeah, I was hoping to be able to do a book signing here. So people can actually, if uh, they can't find your book in the bookstore, uh, they can actually order it through Hay House or, um, or Amazon. Amazon. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and I also have it on on my website, but it's the same thing because even on my website, it takes them through to Amazon. But maybe people would like to look at my website cause, for all the other stuff because I have a lot of audio and video interviews and all. So that's uh, Anita Mar- Mar- Johnny dot com, right? That's right. And, that's- and- you spell your last name M O O R J A N I. So Anita Morjani dot com. So yes, I looked at your website. It's it's and I've uh, passed it on to others because I thought it was so interesting. And your book is dying to be me. It's a That's great right. book. <laughs> and you know, Doctor uh, Wayne Dyer said if if you know anyone who has just um, went through a death in the family or or uh, that this book is a perfect gift. So it helps others heal just by reading your book. Thank you. I'm I'm glad. I'm just so happy that that this can help other people. I mean, even when I was writing it, I had no idea how popular it would be or anything because that when I did finally write do the final version i really just followed my heart and it at that point it didn't even matter to me whether it sold one copy or or a thousand copies um i just felt that i needed to write this i need to share this and even if it helps just one person it's worth it so when something goes viral let me tell you uh you know it must hook onto people's hearts It, it couldn't go viral otherwise you know and uh, and the healing must be tremendous. I mean, like I said, when something goes viral, it really hooks up to your heart, and you just you just have to share it with someone else. It have you had other so happy. Have you had other people that had near death experiences contact you? Yes, I have, and um, some of my uh, now to today, like some of my closest friends who I've made since after my near-death experience have been people who have had near-death experiences and, and so we understand each other. So they can actually relate because um, sometimes I, uh, you know, we can get misunderstood by people who haven't had the same kind of experience and what it, things like when I say that it's really, really important to take care of yourself first. Sometimes I get misinterpreted that I'm trying to tell people to be selfish, but when you understand what an important entity you are to be given this opportunity to come and express in this physical life, you realize that it really is important for you to take care of yourself and to be in complete love and gratitude with your physical being so that you can be the best you can be in this in this world and express yourself. And the more you care for yourself, the more you're able to give others. If you don't care for yourself, you don't have anything to share with other people. Well, by meeting you, um, I, I sensed your beautiful uh, energy. So you truly are a walking light. <laughs> so we want everybody to know about your, your book for people to order it, uh, Dying to Be Me. And we've been talking to Anita Morjani, M-O-O-R-J-A-N-I, and uh, she has a website, anitamorjani.com. So, Anita, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. It gives me a lot of pleasure to, to be able to share it and to help other people. 
and um, have a beautiful, lovely time in Santa Cruz while you're there. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me on your show. We enjoyed you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So that was Anita Morjani, M-O-O-R-J-A-N-I.
Hello.